Today's reading is from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the reading of God's word. Everybody here today, um, although it looks like we're back in January, the weather is getting colder, but um, um, yeah, just to kind of reiterate, next Sunday we'll, we'll be having our congregational meeting, so uh, it's required for all members, uh, but if you're not a member or a visitor, then um, you're welcome to join and kind of sit in on that and see what that's about. Um, also, just to kind of reiterate, it is mask optional next week, so it's going to be good to you know, get these off and um, be more comfortable if you're comfortable with that. So just keep that in mind. Okay, um, so we are here in this uh, series on the church. And the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 17. It's entitled The Great High Priestly Prayer. It's the prayer of Jesus. And he's praying for the church. And um, why am I doing this series? Well, I, I think it's not just for many of us who've been in the church, because we may have forgotten, but for many of us who are newer to the church, um, it's probably important to know why you go to church and what you should be looking for, all right? Because there are many different reasons why people might come to church or visit a church. Uh, but I think there are a few things that we need to be clear about in terms of this is what we think church should be. These are the things that you should be looking for in a church, and these are the things that sojourners should be doing as a church, right? And because this is what sojourners should be doing as a church, this is what you should be doing as a church. And uh, I think that's why we're looking at this. And we spent the past two weeks looking at John 17, and we made an argument that it's a big deal for Jesus because he's about to die and go to the cross, and it's one of his last prayers. And he prays, basically he prays for the disciples to build a church, right? That's what he prays for. He prays for the church. And so what does he pray for? And I mean, let me, let me just do this. We, we read Matthew 28, but I'm going to segue from John 17 into 28. And in John 17, if you remember what Jesus actually prayed for when he prays for the church, in verse 9 of John 17, he's praying he says, I'm praying for not the world, but for the church, for them, for these, for these people. And we said that it's not because Jesus doesn't care about the world or only about the church, but there's a reason he does this, because he prays only for the church in John 17. He prays in verse 8 that the church would keep his words, his truth, the ones that Jesus gave them as God gave them to him. He prays in verse 11 that the church would be one, even as he's one with the Father, that there will be unity. In verse 13 of John 17, he prayed for the church that there will be kind of joy, his kind of joy that would be fulfilled in the church, in the people that go to the church. In verse 15, he prays for the church and he prayed that they would be protected from the evil one. In verse 17, he prays for the church, and he says he prays that they are sanctified in the truth, set apart for the truth, growing in truth and knowledge and understanding. And in verse 18, he prays that as God sent him into the world, so Jesus now sends these into the world. Okay? 
So that's what we saw in John 17. Jesus loves his church, and he's prayed, or he's praying for his church. And the question that we want to ask is this, why? Does Jesus just pray for the church to be joyful just so that they could be happy? Does Jesus pray for the unity of the church so that people in the church would just get along? Does Jesus pray for blessedness for the people in the church so that they could just be happy? Does he pray that they would know the love of Christ, that the church would know the love just so that they could love each other? In other words, why, why did he pray for the church? Did he pray for the church just for the sake of church? And if you were to read John 17 and you kept reading and go to verse 21, there's a reason he prays like this for the church. And that is in verse 21, and then you see it in verse 23, and you get a hint of it in verse 25. He says this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Do you see that in verse 21, 23? That's what he says. You can look it up later. And so verse 25 and 26 of John 17, the way he ends is he says that the world doesn't yet know him, but his goal is so that they would know him, and they're going to know him through the church that he builds. Jesus had a mission. That's what we said. And his mission is for the church. But the church, our church, at least right now here in this world, on this side of heaven, as important as it is, is not the end all be all for Jesus Christ. The church today is a means to the end, and the end is for his glory, and so that the world outside may know who Jesus is, so that they might believe that God sent him. See, in John 17, Jesus doesn't pray for the world. That's what he says in verse 9. He prays for his church. He prays for its joy, its unity, its truth, its love. He doesn't pray for the world. Why? Because his purpose is that it's through the church's love. And it's going to be through uh, the church's unity. And it's going to be through the church's truth that people around the world, outside the church, might see a different kind of love. That the world will see a different kind of unity. That through the church's truth, the world will know and come to believe the truth. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see where I'm going with this? You know, we learned about sin a few weeks before, right? And we said that at its core, sin is there's this self-centeredness. There's this sort of selfishness, a self-preoccupation, if you will, that kind of just wants to say that everything is about me. And it's how I see things. And this is what I want. And this is what I'm getting. Or this is what I'm not getting. And here's what I think I need. And this is what I think is beneficial for me and worthwhile for me and for my time and my finance and my effort and my thoughts and prayers. 
Uh, it's a kind of selfishness that can take even what's meant to be a good thing, like a, a sermon or a Bible study or a, or a prayer, and make it only about me. And it's that same kind of selfishness or sinfulness that could take even something like the church and make it just about us. Don't get me wrong. There is something about us in the church. There is something for us in the church. Right? You come to church for a reason, hopefully. And God wants you to get something out of it. I'm not denying that. He wants you to enjoy worship. He wants you to hear a good sermon. He wants you to participate uh, in, in, in good fellowship. And of course, then he, he wants you who come to church to get something out of it. And we need to be attentive to that and, and we need to work on that. But here's the point. If that's where it ends, if you are always about you, if we as a church are always about us, if that's where it stops, we might be a church doing church things, but functionally we're nothing more than a religious social club. And that is all that the world outside, that those outside our church, those without church, those who don't go to church, that's all they will ever see. Let me uh, make a reference to one of my favorite Disney movies. It's not Marvel, okay? Sorry to disappoint you. But remember Finding Nemo? Remember, you know, Finding Nemo? It's one of the best Disney movies, I think. Uh, it's one of those things where I almost teared up watching Finding Nemo. But there's a character in Finding Nemo called Nigel. Do you remember Nigel? He's a brown pelican. And he comes into the scene uh, out of the water, and he's got a crab, a little crab in his wing, ready to eat. He's about to eat. He's just there to feed himself. But he enters the scene surrounded by these greedy, single-minded eating machines who have only one word, mine. Remember the seagulls? Mine? 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 Right? It's kind of interesting to hear of them, you know. Uh, and, and, and Nigel's surrounded by them. He's trying to focus on what he's trying to do, but he's surrounded by all these seagulls, and they're all saying, mine, mine, mine. And finally he responds, and he says, quote, oh, would you just shut up? You're rats with wings, end quote. Now, here's why I bring this up. You ever hang out with church people in a larger setting? I mean, I'm not talking about uh, official church meeting. I'm talking about just when you go out with groups, like a large group. You ever feel how when you're in a large group having dinner or drinking or whatever you guys are doing, you know why it's hard sometimes to have meaningful discussions in those meetings, in those groups when you're hanging out? One reason is probably because you're not really talking about anything in that group. Nothing really meaningful. And so your topics are usually shallow. Okay? But that's fine because, you know, after all, you're just hanging out. Maybe just getting to know people, um, you know, just doing things together, just being with each other is enough. But, you know, you know in those groups, in a large setting, you know how hard it is to have a conversation because everybody's talking. Everybody's talking, right? Everybody's saying something and everybody's saying about, this is me and this is what I did and this is what I got and this is what, you know. And, and you know, if you're more on the quiet side, it's like jumping rope. They're, they're spinning the rope. You're just waiting your turn to kind of jump in, right, because you're not sure when to interrupt went to go in, and it's usually the louder people and the, and the people that talk the most uh, that seem to always 
take over the conversation, right? And, and, and oftentimes, do you ever feel like even when you try, you want to participate, but sometimes it's like everybody's talking, and it's talking about anything, and it's talking about nothing. And sometimes, as it sees, it seems like everyone's just saying, mine, 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 mine. Me, 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 me. <laughs> and you want to be like Nigel, right? You want to say, oh, would you just be quiet? But the irony uh, is that Nigel, too, the pelican, he was all about himself as well. He was just trying to feed himself with that little crab. But here's the thing. He ends up letting go of the crab. He ends up losing his food. Why? Because he overhears other pelicans that Nemo's father, Marlin, is looking for his lost son. And he joins them in the search. Only when he takes the time to hear, takes the time to listen, not talk, listen about others' And what's really going on in their lives, to care for them, does he stop caring for himself? Does he stop feeding himself? Now, I'm not saying we're a flock of seagulls, okay? But sometimes, sometimes, if we never pause, if we never take a second, if we never take a breath from ourselves and stop talking about me and maybe ask, what about you? How are you? Really, how are you? If I'm all about me, that's going to be a problem because if that's the church, if that's us, if all we are and all that we care about is us, if we never take the time and effort to think about others, even those outside of us, then we've come short of Jesus' vision for the church. And with respect to the rest of the world, when they see us, all they will hear is mine, 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 mine. And so... There's a focus on the inside that Jesus has. Focus on inward growth in the church, but with an outward goal. And now we come to one of the last commands that Jesus gives to his church, to the leaders of his church. And Jesus says a lot of important things here in the Gospel of Matthew, but this is the one he ends with, right? And you've heard this before, right? It's called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. It's one of the last things that he tells the early church to do. And the last and first of the last command is in verse 19. He says, go. Go. He didn't say stay. He didn't say stay in your groups. He didn't say stay at home. He didn't say stay in your synagogues or in your church. He didn't say stay amongst yourselves and the ones you like. He said go. Go out. He's saying, I came. I, I left home. I came into this world. I went to the cross, and then I came out of the grave, 
and now I'm about to go back home to the Father, and now it's your turn, he says. And as you go, I want you to do at least three things. And here are three things that the church should be doing. Verse 19 and 20. Just three things, and you know this. Well, number one, disciple all the nations. Number two, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Number three, teach them everything I've commanded. This is the vision of the church. This is, this is what the church is supposed to do. Disciple all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that Jesus commanded. And we'll get back to that in the following weeks. These are what historically we've called the marks of the true church. Church discipline, sacraments, baptism and communion, and the preaching of God's word. But let me just give you a brief overview on how I think this applies to us as church today. So what do you do? Disciple all the nations. What does that mean? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't just say make converts. He doesn't say just get people to go to church. He says make disciples. I mean, making converts is great. It's a start. Going to church is also great. It's a start. But it's not the end. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who's not just making a confession. It's not just someone who says, I am a Christian. It's not that person that puts it on the profile page of Coffee Meets Bagel or eHarmony or wherever the dating apps are. But simply put, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. He doesn't just say it, he does it. He walks with Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who is growing, looking like, living for this Lord and Savior that they confess has saved their lives. And the church's job is to grow disciples in the church. To grow disciples in the church. Now here, listen carefully with this point, okay? I don't want you to come to church to be a disciple. If you think you're coming to church and you're a disciple, that's not the point. I don't want you to come to church to be a disciple. I want you to leave the church. Leave the church and be a disciple. Because you're not just a disciple in the church. You don't just follow Jesus when you go to church. You follow Jesus at work. You follow Jesus when you're hanging out with friends at the bars. You follow Jesus in your relationships, all of your relationships. You follow Jesus wherever you go. That's a disciple. And the question that we need to ask about ourselves, even as a church, does the fact that you believe and you say you follow Jesus make any difference in how you are at home with your kids? with your spouses, or at work, with friends. Does it make any difference? And it should. And so Jesus tells them, go make disciples of who? Not just Koreans, not just the Asians, not just the ones that go in the church. The word here in Greek is ethnos, nations, everyone, everyone. Not just Jews, not just Asians, uh, but you're, not just your friends, everyone, the world. Do you, do you see John 17? I'm, I'm not praying for you so that the world may, may know. Matthew 28, this is what you do for the world. There's an inward growth but an outward focus. The second thing he tells us to do is baptize. Now, baptism is a, 
is what we call a sacrament. And I know many people are not familiar with this. Just like communion, the Lord's table is a sacrament, right? We, we baptize infants, we baptize adults. And, and basically, it's a spiritual thing that he's telling them to do. It, it, the baptism is a sign and seal of something that uh, is symbolized and made effective uh, by God and his word, just like communion. So what does baptism mean? What does it mean to baptize people? It means this. It's to, it's to signify that they belong to the family of Jesus. You are now part of the family. But even with that, look, think about this. We don't baptize people who are already part of the family. You baptize people who weren't there and now want to be in there. There's a concern for those outside the family to bring them into the family, and that's what we baptize. For those who can call God Father, and we treat them how? Like brothers and sisters. That's what baptism does. Okay? So disciple, baptize, family. Last thing, teach. And we can add to that, preach. Preach from this book we call the Bible. It's called God's Word. You know, and um, it's a sermon. Now, this is one most people agree with because, yeah, you know, the sermon's got to be one of the most important things in church, right? It's got to be part of the worship. But, you know, many of us here, you might even say, not all of us, but many of us here, the only reason you come to church is for the sermon. Because it's important, and it's important, and it's the thing that I come for. But give me a break. Give me a break. Because if that's the only thing you come for, as important as it is, let me, let me illustrate this way. If I prepared and gave you a present on Sunday after service, I came up to you and I said, here, you know what? I want to give you this. And you receive it. And you say, oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. You know, I love it. And then at the end of the day, when everyone goes home and I check the pews, and you left it in the chairs, you left it in the pews. It must not be that good. I come for the sermon. That's the most important part. I get this point. What are you talking about? You hear a good sermon. Oh, wonderful, great, great. You know, and then what do you do? You go home. You, you leave it home. You leave it here in the church. I mean, what's the point? I'm lucky if you remember my sermon three hours from now. You're supposed to take it and leave the church and then in your life try and live it out. Work it out. That's why it's important to teach and preach. Not just so you hear it in the church, so you live it outside the church. So let me summarize this. What's the church supposed to do? Three things. Disciple, baptize, teach. You're right, disciple. We want followers of Jesus. Baptism, because they're part of the family of Jesus. Teach. What? The gospel of Jesus. You teach us where and preach us. For, for what? So that when you go out, it makes a difference in your life. You come to church, baptism, Bible studies, sermon, whatever it is, and then you go out, hopefully that it makes a difference in your life. And then maybe you might make a difference in someone else's life, in your family, 
with your children, with your, with your spouses, your parents, with your friends, maybe even your neighbors, your co-workers. So that through you, through you, the world might know how good God is. And he gets the glory. So that's Jesus' commission. He gives them a mission. He says, I want you to go out, disciple, baptize, teach, and preach. And I don't know, you heard of the Great Commission before, and maybe you thought that's usually about missions and maybe evangelism. You know, one of those guys that does and wants to do this kind of stuff, go out to some foreign country like Pauli in the middle of nowhere, suffer for no reason, and do a lot of nice things for less fortunate people, knock on doors, maybe hand out pamphlets, talk about Jesus, right? So you're, you're usually tuned out because you're thinking, yeah, that's, that's nice, but I'm not one of those guys, you know, I'm not going to be a missionary, I don't plan on being one, I'm not going to be a pastor either, I'm not going to be one, I'm not going to marry one, and so this sermon or this teaching or this passage, the Great Commission, you think had little to do with you. But what I want to show you that it's not just about missions, it's, it's about the church, And if it's about the church, then those of us who come to church, it has everything to do with us today. When you come to church, when you belong to church, you participate in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, every week, every month. What do you mean it's irrelevant to you? The Great Commission is about building the church. That means you're one of the building blocks of this church being built. And practically it means this. It's not just my job. It's not just my job to disciple or discipline or baptize or teach. It's yours too. You may not be able to officially disciple or discipline anyone in the church, but if you're a disciple, you can still encourage people to grow and follow Jesus with words, with actions, with your example as you follow Jesus yourself. You might not be able to legitimately baptize anyone, but if baptism means being part of the family, you can help people around you feel like they're really part of the family of God, the body of Christ. You might not be the one officially preaching and teaching God's word on a Sunday afternoon, but you can, in your own words, or even using his words, encourage, build up one another's faith, and yes, even share your own faith with others around you. You might not be very missions-minded. And by the way, I think there's something wrong with that. But you in the church have a mission to build the church, to disciple, to shape, to encourage people closest to you, around you, your children, your family, your friends, others outside, with the love of Christ that you say you know, to let them know that they too can be a part of the family of Christ and to encourage them with words of grace and and mercy and forgiveness and comfort at church, at home, at work, wherever you go. Look, the point here is this. Just go. Do it. Be the church. You don't have to wait for the next community group. You don't have to wait for the next retreat. You don't have to wait for the next Bible study or fellowship meeting. Right where you are, wherever you are, with whoever you are with, just go and do. 
Not in here only, but out there with others, for others. You're the church. Now, some of you might feel like, yeah, I don't know if I could do that every day. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not there yet. Look, that's an excuse, okay? These guys, they're, they're fishermen. They're blue-collar people that Jesus is talking to, okay? They weren't educated. They didn't know that much. You know, all they did was hang around Jesus, and, and they did a lot of things wrong. So they weren't confident. Think about this. They, 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 they're probably unsure. They're a little bit, I think, scared. Because here's just Jesus. Here's their leader who they've been following all this time. And now he's telling them, I'm going to go. Right? I'm going to go away. So you, you're still here. You do this. Make disciples, baptize, and teach everybody. And if I were there thinking about this, I would be like, where are you going, Jesus? Right? Where, where are you going to go? How am I going to build? How am I going to do this? Who's going to listen to me? How am I going to overcome these obstacles? You know, I, I'm sort of an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm having a hard time just taking care of my own issues. How am I going to be a part of all that and do all that? I don't think I can be like that. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I sh- I'm, I'm not sure if I have what it takes. And if that's you, listen to this. I'll end with this. Oftentimes when you look at these verses in Matthew 28, you, we tend to focus the bulk of it in verse 19 and 20 and look at what we have to do as a church. Baptize, you know, teach, and making disciples. And that's what we focus on. But we oftentimes overlook the beginning and the end of this passage in verse 19. Jesus doesn't just tell them to go. He says, therefore, go. He doesn't just tell them to go do something. He says, therefore, go and do something. That because something is true, something is the case, I want you now to go and do these things. Look at the way Jesus frames what he tells them to do. Verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, do these things. And then he ends, verse 20, I am with you always till the end of the age. You see that? Look. All the things that Jesus wants these people to do is is framed, it's sandwiched, you could say, between two very important and encouraging truths. First, verse 18, Jesus got all authority and power. But second, he's with you. Jesus has all the power and authority in heaven and earth, and he's with you. And the reason that he could say this is because he lived a life for you, gave his life for you, paid for our sins, raised on the third day, then made to the Father with power and authority. He's going to do, that means he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and he's praying for you, and he's given to you a spirit, united you with him, that means he's with you. Think about this. How, how encouraging must this be for the disciples? How, how encouraging it ought to be for us? Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but you're not alone. I have all authority and power, and I'm with you. In the strength of the Spirit till the end of the age. All you have to do is just go. And this is what we have to remember. There's a tendency in all of us just when we are most ready to do something good, that we focus on ourselves and act 
like we have the strength to do it ourselves. Our problem is always the same. It's a continuous self-preoccupation that causes us to lose something very important, and that is this. The New Testament, Jesus Christ, never tells you or commands you to do anything for him without first basing that command on what they are and what they have been given. Your success as a Christian, your success as a person, at least in the eyes of God, is not wholly dependent on you. But your success rests on the one who gave his life for you, who is with you, has been with you, and he has all the power in heaven and earth to keep his promises and plans for you. You know what that means? If you have all the power and you are with them, it means them, it means this for them. You can attempt great things for God and never be a failure in his eyes. You know, Next Sunday, can you pray for service? Oh, I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray. I can't, talk, I can't talk in front of people. I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray. I've got all the power and authority in the world, and I'm with you. Can you share your faith with your non-Christian relative or your friend? No, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to be looking like a, one of those fools. I don't want to be rejected. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could do it. I've got all the power and authority in the world, and I'm with you. I'm too shy, I'm too shy, I can't fellowship with all these people, I can't talk to strangers, you know, I feel so uncomfortable. I've got all the power and authority in the world, and I'm with you. I don't know if I can raise my kids the way I'm supposed to, I don't know if I can handle family, I don't know if I can handle this marriage. I've got all the power and authority in heaven and earth, and I'm with you till the end of the age. This is why we call it the Great Commission. The Great Commission is great, not because the work is so great, but because Jesus is so great. And so we need to trust in him more and then go be the church to everybody else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your words. We thank you so much for your patience, your mercy, all the things that we always say we should be thankful for. We, we pray that you would um, open our hearts and minds to really see the gratefulness that we should have. We pray that you would continue to do what you said you were doing and going to do from the very beginning. We, we pray that that plan would unfold not just around the world, but also right here in our very own church. And not just in our church, but also in our very own lives. And 
these are things that are oftentimes we feel beyond our own capabilities, our giftedness, or even our own strengths, our own inclinations. And Lord, this is why not only do you continue to pray for us, but you give us what we need the most in order to obey. Uh, your very life, your very strength, your very person, your very work that you say is still in effect right now. So increase our faith so that we might not only see what you see, but to follow you and to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.